Welcome to the Sam Says Podcast. I'm Samantha Oldsfry, the CEO of the Illinois Association of Medicaid Health Plans, also known as IMHIP. In this podcast, we focus on all things surrounding the Illinois Medicaid Managed Care Program. Welcome to the Sam Says Podcast. I'm the Sam and Sam Says, and today I'm thrilled to welcome my friend and mentor, Lindsay Artola, president and owner of Sage Health Strategy, to talk about healthcare transformation and the importance of partnership in the ever-evolving industry of healthcare. Lindsay, welcome, my friend. Good morning, Sam of Sam Says. Thanks so much for having me. We are so glad, and I can't believe we haven't had you on before because you are just such a wealth of knowledge, and our listeners are going to love learning from you today, but I promise that this will not be your last time because you have so much to, you know, to share with us. And I mean, you share it with me constantly, and I know we talk about this all the time, and people say this, that there are like two constants in life, death and taxes, but I definitely think there's another one, and that is change, especially if you work in healthcare. And, you know, I guess over, I would say, especially the last two decades, we've just seen this ever evolving landscape. Um, And Lindsay, you are, you've just been in the thick of it and really watching as healthcare in Illinois evolves and transforms. Can you give our listeners a bit of your background and then also the background on SAGE and like the wonderful work you do Sure. Yeah. Um, so I have been in healthcare for a long, long time, longer than I care to really think about, but I have worked for large health system. I have worked for a small community-based organization. I have worked for a large trade association. I have worked for a large national Medicaid managed care payer. Um, so really have run the gamut. But I think the common thread that has run through all the different positions I've held is really a focus on healthcare for the underserved. That's really my passion. Um, My personal motto has always been to make a difference, um, to really drive change that can improve access to and the quality of care for the underserved. Um, And I've had a real particular strong focus on the Medicaid program. Um, And that whole focus on making a difference really has has, um, transferred over to the work at SAGE um, Health Strategy. Our actual organization purpose statement is to make a difference, whether that's for our clients or for the communities we serve. Um, Our primary focus at SAGE, not exclusive, but primary focus is on government-sponsored healthcare, particularly Medicaid and Medicare managed care. And we have a small but mighty team of leaders who have really been in the trenches and have held leadership, many C-suite roles in either large health systems or large payers. So we really bring to the table not just sort of your typical consultant esoteric approach, but we really understand how organizations work 
and how to remove those obstacles to, to really get things done. I think that would, one of the things that our clients would say about us is that we really get things done. Um, we focus on helping our clients, whether they are national multi-state payers or very small community-based providers, uh, succeed and thrive in the Medicaid or Medicare managed care space. So we do things like strategic communications. How can you engage your members, your providers, your clients or patients? We do operational improvement work. We do quality and care coordination improvement work. Um, we really run the gamut. The one, the one thing we say we don't do is, is financial turnarounds. That is not our area of expertise, but beyond that, it's really about helping our clients thrive and um, be successful in the Medicaid managed care space. And as one of your clients, I have worked with Sage, we've worked with Sage for years. Um, I can just say and echo, you're absolutely right. Sage is one of those consultant firms where they get you guys get things done. You um, are just fabulous to work with because it's not, I never feel like you guys are trying to sort of grow the scope or sort of, you know, like it's all about, well, what do you need and how can we get that done and how can we effectively use your resources and how can we do so with sort of an understanding of the healthcare ecosystem mm -hmm. and all that is moving because sometimes we look for the perfect solution. And sometimes we look for a placeholder because we know it's going to change in, in six months. Um, and you don't, and you flag for us, you don't want to invest all these resources in, you know, updating everything when you're going to have to invest all those resources again to update in six months. Like how, how can, what's a stopgap that works and, and addresses your need. And I love that because, Sometimes we just need that stopgap and sometimes we need the full solution. Um, and, and you guys have such a, a great way of, of understanding the ecosystem, but then also helping others understand and navigate that ecosystem. Well, I appreciate you saying that. Thank you. And I, I think that's so true. Um, you know, the way that we like to work with our clients is really partnering with them. Um, and I guess maybe it comes from the fact that we've been in their shoes in many cases. And so we really put ourselves in our shoes when we're working with them. And we want to make sure that whatever solutions or work or um, change that they want to see makes sense for them. It, it's really about making sense for them, not necessarily making sense for us all the time um, for, as a business. Um, uh, you know, I think that to be successful in this space, um, you're absolutely right. You, you have to understand the ecosystem, understand the needs of that particular organization, where they are and where they fit within that ecosystem, um, you know, and, and be flexible and, and work within it. Absolutely. And, and let's like sort of pull on that thread a little bit more. You're helping clients and all these organizations, big, small, medium, um, you know, navigate healthcare transformation, find their place in this ecosystem. What do you think is most critical for organizations to like, what's most critical as they navigate all of this as either a healthcare provider or a stakeholder, community-based organization? 
Yeah, I think that the two biggest things that come to mind for me are flexibility, which is sort of an obvious one, but maybe less obvious is humility. Um, so flexibility, obviously, because everything is constantly changing, you have to be flexible in how you think about problems and solutions. Um, you have to think about, have flexibility in how you're going to create solutions and, and operate your business. Um, but I think humility is also so critical because no, no single person, no single organization has all the answers. Um, and, and you really have to be open to listening um, and, and thinking about where you need help, frankly. Um, it, healthcare is so incredibly complicated. It changes, it feels like on a daily basis. Um, and so understanding your own shortcomings um, and where you're gonna need some help and potentially some partners um, to be successful, I think is really, really important. I love that so much because when we talk about, you know, I'm thinking of all the various things we talk about now, like transforming healthcare and value-based contracting and um, collaborations and all of these, you know, these, these various innovative projects that are going on in, in all the spheres of healthcare. We always talk about know your strengths, know your value, know your data. Mm -hmm. And that's all, you should know all of those things, but there's a flip side of that, right? Like mm -hmm. know your weaknesses. Yeah, know, know what you don't, recognize that there are things you don't know, right? Um, be aware of what you don't know, I think is, is equally important. Absolutely. And then because, and you talked about this and why Sage is so successful is because you partner with your clients. You are a partner with them. But if you know your areas of opportunity, if you will, or what you don't know, and you know, you know, sort of these are your strengths and this is the area where you're going to need some help, that allows you to look for it for your partner. That allows you to know, okay, not who can amplify my strengths but who can address the areas of opportunity? Absolutely. And, and you, know, you do that. You are one of the ways that I address my areas of opportunity here at IMIP, if you will, um, and your team, your wonderful team. Um, but can you walk through sort of why that part, like, I think you and I know partnerships critical. It, it, follows that theme of the humility of knowing what you don't know, knowing what you can impact versus what you can't. But can you talk a little bit more about why you think in this space partnership is so important and um, why it, it, it matters and, and how a strong partner, where strong partnerships can make folks successful? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, like I said before, healthcare and, and particularly Medicaid managed care is complicated, right? Um, and I think if you look across that ecosystem and, and the constituent parts of it, everyone is bringing a different strength to the table. So if you think about 
a large Medicaid managed care payer, they have a wealth of information in terms of data, right? They've got these huge claim systems and, and care coordination management systems. They have got a wealth of data um, that is so important to identifying issues or opportunities with their members or their providers. Um, but if you, and, and, and maybe they've identified that they have a, a problem in a particular, you know, diabetes management, but they're not on the ground with their members in the way, and they don't have the relationship with their members in the way that a provider does. So if you think about a primary care practice or an FQHC, what is their strength? Their strength is that they have very strong personal relationships with their patients. Patients and, and MCO members trust their providers. So if you want to affect change in how diabetes is managed, you know, coming together and bringing those two strengths together is really what will drive that, that better outcome and those results. Using that data in partnership with the providers who have that trust, trust relationship with patient or the member is really what's going to drive results. Um, you know, the MCO can send out a gajillion letters and texts to their members, um, you know, alerting them to this, that, and the other thing and reminding them to do this, that, and the other thing. Um, and that can be effective. Don't get me wrong. Um, particularly texting, we found, you know, obviously is, is very important communication vehicle with your members. But having, there's nothing better than that trust relationship and being able to partner with your providers, work together, provide your, you know, give your providers that data on their members. That's what's really going to put you over the edge and really drive those results. So that's just one example of, of you know, leveraging the strengths of each partner um, to drive the results that you're looking for. Um, another one would be, you know, social determinants of health, which we know are so critical right now and obviously a, a very strong focus across the healthcare landscape. Um, you know, everybody has, um, you know, their area of expertise and, and medical providers are not experts on those social determinants of health. So if you really want to make a difference, you're going to have to reach out and understand what drives those social determinants of health. How can we improve and partner to make sure that those needs are being met by patients or, or health plan members? So, you know, again, it's that humility of recognizing where you have gaps and filling those gaps with, with trusted partners. Absolutely. And I love what you said there about you know, how, like the diabetes prevention, the idea like, okay, you know, a health plan, they, they have the data, they can identify the need, they can text, call, mail. And that does, I mean, we see that it, it helps. It moves. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not taking away from that. That's oh, no. an important tool in the toolbox. No question. Yeah. But it, it moves you an inch. It moves you a foot, right? Like yeah. it's part yeah. of the way. And then the other side of that, the healthcare provider has those conversations when the members in their clinic or the, you know, or their community health worker. Yeah. That's an important tool. It moves you a foot. It moves, you know, you know, a, a few feet, 
But when you combine and you like you combine the data so the provider can identify the members that need it the most, can identify members that maybe aren't coming into the clinics. Mm-hmm. And then you can combine what the FQHC in this example can do, but then also what the health plan can do. Mm-hmm. You know, the health plan can communicate and, and remind the patient or the member using the same, you know, the same ideas, the same concepts, sometimes even the same language. Mm-hmm. That's going to amplify, you're going to amplify one another's message. You're going to be more targeted in your approach and you're going to see a bigger impact. You're going to do more than what either individual partner could do separately. Absolutely. It, it, it's so, so much more powerful. You know, you think about someone rowing a boat on their own um, versus, you know, a rowing crew in a rowing shell, um, all working in tandem together. That's, that's how I think of it. I love um, who's, who's going to get to the finish line first, right? Right. I love that. Like you can both be in your little canoes by yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe they're a little old and like you get tired or you could be in this wonderful, you know, rowing shell all together in the same direction. You're going to go much faster and you're going to be able to sort of navigate those choppy waters, if you will, right. of healthcare. And most importantly, you're going to be able to have a better impact for the people you're trying to collectively serve. Because at the end of the day, Our goal is not as the health plan, I want to do, I want to, you know, send out the most text messages Mm -hmm. and the goal of an FQHC is not, I want, you know, to make as many phone calls as possible and get as many people in this program as possible. The goal is we want to contact the people who need it most. We want to get the people who who need the program, you know, the diabetes prevention program the most in the program engaged. And then most importantly, everyone's collective goal is to help that member, empower that member to improve their own health. Like that's the end goal. It's not our individual, you know, efforts. It's, it's how do we make that difference for that member and improve their lives and empower that individual. And when we focus on that, we all do better and the community does better. Well, and, and don't lose sight of the fact that when you're doing it that way, it's not that, you know, this altruistic, um, you know, obviously we all go into healthcare because we want to make a difference. It goes back to, you know, my whole reason I'm in healthcare is because I want to make a difference. But, you know, when you are working together and you're in that rowing shell, it, it, it does help each constituent partner as well, right? The health plan is going to have reduced costs of care because that person has, you know, engaged in care. The provider is going to be um, happy because their quality scores are going up and they're seeing um, better outcomes for their patients. So it's not that you're you're abandoning your own individual organizational goals. Um, it's just a faster and more powerful way to get there. Absolutely. And I think so we've walked through and I hope our listeners I'm like here are underscoring of the importance of partnership and identifying those partners. Um, and, and fostering meaningful relationships with them in order to sort of navigate all of this. But Lindsay, you've done such a great job and, and over the years of working together, you know, I feel like you sort of 
know everyone, work with everyone, have wonderful relationships with what feels like everyone of which I'm so grateful for. Um, but can you sort of give our listeners and me um, some tips on sort of identifying those meaningful groups to partner with and sort of how you foster and maintain those partnerships over time? Sure. Um, well, we always start with data. Um, everything that we do, we try and, and anchor it in data. So the first step is really whether you're a provider or a, a, a plan is understand your data. Use your data to drive and understand where your gaps are, where your challenges are, where there's opportunities for improvement. Um, and, and then really focus in. I mean, you can't boil the ocean, right? So I always say start small. Um, pick something where there's an obvious gap and an obvious um, need to make change and, and focus in on that area. Um, so I'm trying to think of a, a good example, might be a, maybe a, a behavioral health issue within a particular region um, of the state, or maybe you're a provider who is really struggling with, you know, getting preventive screenings done. It's, it's really focusing in on a particular area, opportunity challenge, um, and really figure out what data you're going to use to identify it, to measure progress, um, and, and to identify when, when you've achieved success. Um, I think the next step is, is understand who are, again, those constituent players within that area, whether it's, you know, again, behavioral health or a particular geography, um, identify who potential partners could be, whether that's a partner, a provider partner, or a community-based partner, um, and, you know, reach out and, and develop, uh, you know, just ask for a meeting and, and start talking to them. I think um, an important and one of the challenges I think that we've seen is the language people use, um, particular if you are, particularly if you're a large either provider or, or payer. Um, again, healthcare, like any industry, really is full of acronyms and, and um, terminology, and the way you do business has a certain language that goes with it that your community-based partners are not gonna understand. And so it's really important, again, going back to humility, um, you know, make sure that you're conscious of the language that you use um, and that you are listening and looking for those cues that maybe folks aren't following. I, I think language and listening are really important factors. Um, and I think it's also really important to understand who the influencers are within a particular neighborhood, geography, um, particular field, like a behavioral health or, or disability community. Um, and I think, you know, building relationships with those folks on an ongoing basis. Um, and maybe this is the baseline. Maybe I, I would back up and say the baseline is and Sam, you get this from a, you know, we were, I'm a recovering lobbyist, as you know, you want to build those relationships with folks before you need them. 
you want to build that trust. You want to build that um, communication channel, um, build that understanding before you need those relationships, particularly when it comes to communities. Um, we do a lot of community engagement work with our clients. And it's so important that you have built those trust relationships before you need to go in and, and say, you know, we want to do this, that, and the other thing within the community. Understand who the influencers are within those communities. Understand who already has those trust relationships with community members, whether those are, you know, your patients or your health plan members. Um, you know, large providers, large health plans, even some small providers, um, although less so on the, the small provider side, you know, there's a lot of distrust of them. And I think, you know, taking those baby steps to build those, those communication channels, build those relationships is, is so critical. Um, and, and understanding what are the challenges within those communities? What are the capabilities within those communities? You know, I think we in the healthcare sphere feel like we have all the answers and that all these, you know, especially when we talk about disproportionately impacted areas, um, we just sort of assume it's just a bunch of negatives, but there's a lot of positives in those communities. Um, and let's, you know, talk about what those strengths are and how can we work together to, to further develop those strengths. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. So it's, it's all about building those trust relationships, um, listening, not going in thinking you have all the answers and you're going to dictate what this partnership looks like, um, but really creating um, a, a, an equal partnership. I think the, the other thing is understanding, especially when you're working with community-based organizations, um, some of the challenges that they have. We, we just worked with a, 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 an organization trying to do a housing project. And, and this, this, is, this is challenging. I don't know that I have the answer, but you know, they, they don't have the large data systems. They don't have the large legal departments and the large IT systems. Um, and, and getting that, um, you know, it was all about a, a, a BAA, um, trying to get a BAA signed and the challenges between, between that and, and understanding you know, how can we be, again, gets back to flexibility. It's not going to follow your typical MO of how you do business. Sometimes you have to be flexible in, in how you approach the work that you're going to do together. So I think it's, you know, reach out, build those relationships, um, be really conscious of listening and the language you use. Um, start small, try a pilot first, just to kind of get your feet wet. Um, and, and get some experience working together and then think about, you know, how do we scale up from there? I love that. It's so, and I, you know, I think when you also, you talk about the language that we use and the listening and the real, and again, really listening. Mm -hmm. um, I see this a lot and I've had this a lot, you know, because folks come to me about how do I get this issue resolved or how do I partner with this health plan? And in their language to me, you know, and it's typically, it's, it's typically the provider community. I, they, 
Um, they're, they're using some language that differs, Mm -hmm. but they're also, you know, using, they have, they're bringing in their stereotypes and their bias and it's coming. Absolutely. That's where the humility comes in, Sam. Absolutely. We all have them. Yes. And it's just like, and all I can, and I tell them and I, you know, or I try to, and, and I don't think I say it, I, I, I've never said it as well as you've outlined it here, but the way we approach the, the plans in this example, but anybody matters. And mm-hmm. if you can approach it from how do we collectively solve or address this challenge? How can we fix this? What's going on? You know, like, and, and with an open mind and kind language, yeah. you are going to have a more productive conversation because if you go in, let's use a provider example, um, and you want a value-based contract. And you say things like, I know that that you guys don't really want to transform healthcare and you're really just about profit, but I I have this idea for you. No one's listening anymore, right? Like it's done. Um, Their hackles are up. You've just offended them. You know, you've just, you've just basically told them, I don't know why you wake up every morning and do this job other than you're probably an evil person, which clearly isn't true. Right. Like, yeah. Um, and so the language we use, um, and how we respond, how we listen, um, making sure we are meaning the same thing. I just had an example two big groups who talk about healthcare all the time. And um, it's us here at I'm hip and um, the IHA and the Illinois Hospital Association. We talk about healthcare all the time, well-versed in it, large, you know, represent large industries. So pretty, and pretty similar and work together regularly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And they're talking about something and, and they were, you know, um, they're using verbiage and it's verbiage we use, but it means, you know, we, it lets, it means B and they're talking about it as though A and we keep mm-hmm. talking about something else. We yeah, keep saying right. A and they keep saying it, what we hear is B, but what they, what they mean A and they right. use, you know, and so we're just talking past each other and getting so confused because to them, my answers don't make sense. Yeah. And to me, I don't know why they're asked. They keep asking because I keep answering. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. And then I finally said, what do you mean? Like, like, just explain this to me. And they explained it. Um, and, and so what they, they kept saying, um, concurrent review. So it was, we were discussing utilization management, Mm -hmm. um, reviewing medical necessity, and they kept saying concurrent review. And I couldn't understand why we would be talking about concurrent review in an acute hospital setting, you know, like in an inpatient, um, you know, the types of things we're talking about are, um, somebody's admitted 
for hip replacement. You know, like it, it's mm-hmm. a short period of time, right? It's a, a DRG reimbursement now that we're getting really wonky. And, and so basically it, it reimburses at the bundled rate. So how long somebody's there doesn't really matter. Right. So why are we talking and, and concurrent review, of course, in my mind means you're there for a period of time. There's a second medical necessity review to see, do you right, still need right. to be there? Yeah. yeah. And I keep saying, talking about prior authorization and they don't understand why I'm not talking about what, like, why am I not answering their question? Mm-hmm. Well, in their mind, prior authorization is and, and it, it is more the hip replacement surgery. It is somebody knows they're coming in. There's been a prior oh, off right. they come in for their surgery. It's all done beforehand. Well, sometimes we have circumstances where somebody goes into the emergency room. They have, and they think they have, I don't, you know, they keep coughing and, you know, they think it's something and they maybe just need an antibiotic or something. And it's late at night and they think they're going to go home, but turns out they've got, you know, pneumonia and some other infection and they need to be admitted. And so they're admitted into the hospital and then the, then the hospital sends over information to the insurance company that says, you know, this is why this person is in here. We still call that at the health plan prior authorization. Prior yeah. Yeah. But in their mind at the hospitals, it's in the hospital. So it's automatically concurrent review. Yeah. Because they're already there. Yeah. And it was just this aha moment where we just weren't, we were talking about the same situation, but just tight and naming it something else. And Mm -hmm. we were both getting really frustrated and we like each other, you know, like, and it was just like, why aren't you answering my question? And I'm just thinking, why are you asking me this question five times? My answer is not going to change. And so you know, that's such a simple example of even where likely, like similarly situated organizations can use language differently. Yeah. And if you can break down, what do you mean by that? What do you mean? Tell me, like, give me an example. Then you can really talk to one another and hear one another. And I think that's where you can really make a difference. Yeah. And I, I think just to, to build on that, um, you know, I think one of the critical things as you approach partnership or even just a relationship is go in and assume the best of intentions on the part of both parties, you know, to give your example of, of the folks wanting a value-based contract and, and going in and assuming that the MCO is out to get them and make money, right? That is You've got to go into these relationships, assuming the best intentions, recognizing that the language may be different. And, you know, you you always have to clarify that language. I think that's one of the reasons Sage has been successful, because we've 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 got leaders that have served in the C-suite at both the including myself um, at both the provider the provider side of the equation, as well as the payer. So we, we understand the difference in language. We understand the biases that each party brings um, and we're able to kind of break that down. Right. And, and just, and, and we've, we've seen it over and over again, where we've had a health system client and, and we hear them talking about the plans and yet, you know, we'll be over on the client side with the payer and they're saying the same thing about that provider, you know, so it's, 
you, you've got to, and you have to work hard at it. It's hard. These biases are so ingrained in us. Um, you really do have to work hard at it, but I think, I think it's so critical. Um, the other thing that I, I just want to reiterate too is, is recognize power differentials um, and how that can affect the way people communicate and work together. Um, you know, you may as, as a large provider or a large health plan, you know, start building a relationship with a community-based organization or a faith community. Um, and, and you may be going in with the best of intentions, but understand that that smaller provider or small community, you know, they may like you personally, but they still have a real concern or a real suspicion of that power differential and, and what you are bringing as an organization. So again, reiterating that humility and recognize that, you know, when there is a power differential between partners, you really have to work to break that, break that down. Oh, I love that. I, I because I don't know that we think about that. Um, or maybe that's not our natural you know, it doesn't just, it, it's not top of mind, I don't think for a lot of folks, but it is so critical because it, it plays such a significant role in how we each navigate the ecosystem. Um, and I think that, let me, let's end here because this conversation could go on forever. <laughs> but, 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 there's so I'm very passionate about relationships and, and partnerships. So yes, that, I agree. we could talk forever. We could. And it, it is so critical. I mean, why your passion comes through and it's so helpful because mm. relationships matter. Partnerships matter. But I want to make sure that as I wrap up, I underscore a few of the things that you've brought forward for our listeners. First and foremost, I loved what you said about showing up before you need something, right? Like yeah. don't dig into your data, realize that one of the areas you serve has a gap and then go to a community-based organization within that area, ask them to partner to help them, you know, to help you address something and expect it to just kick off swimmingly. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I guess you could hope, but the likelihood that there is going to need to be some building, some trust, some showing up in the community, showing up at that organization's, you know, community event or back to school event, you know, whatever it may be, you know, building that relationship in order to innovate is going to be critical. And it has to be meaningful. Yes. You know, communities know right away who's for real. And who's just coming in and throwing some money around to get what they want. It has to be meaningful. Has to be meaningful. Has to be authentic. Authentic. Great word. Yep. Absolutely. So show up, be authentic, build trust. Yep. Um, Language that you use matters. Uh, Make sure you're talking to one another and not past one another. And so, you know, try to break down that that the language you're using, not only does it need to be kind and respectful and, you know, really in your conversation, you're listening, but it need, you need to make sure that when you say a word, the other person 
is understanding it in the same way that you mean it. And when they say a word, you're understanding it the same way that they mean it um, in order to have a successful conversation. And then understanding those power and influence dynamics and how they're going to impact how each person partners in that relationship and bring, you know, what they bring to that. But with that humility of your own organization and individual strengths and weaknesses. And really, you know, we always talk about self-awareness from a leadership perspective of the individual, but there should be some self-awareness of the organization as well. Perfectly put. And I think I am tying up all of the little tidbits that you gave um, our listeners today and this wonderful, like, just masterclass on partnership. But is there anything before we end that you want to underscore one more time? No, I would just say, you know, the two, two key words here are flexibility and humility. And I love that so much, Lindsay. Thank you for your time, for your wisdom, and just the work that you do to make a difference every day. We're so, I'm so grateful for you. Right back at you, Sam of Sam's podcast. Sam says, sorry, Sam says. <laughs> <laughs> and to our listeners, to learn more about what I'm Pip is doing, to listen to other interesting podcasts, of course, we encourage you to visit our website at imhip.net. Don't forget to like and follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. I'm Samantha Oldsfry. Sam and Sam says, as always, thanks for joining us. And until next time, be well and stay safe.